Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, my. That's scary. Um. Okay, this is um, November the 6th. 6th. Oh my gosh, can you believe that? November 6th in the morning. And we're still in Genesis. And we got Noah off the boat. That was good. After a year and 10 days, we got Noah off the boat. That's how long he was on that boat with those animals. Bless his heart. So, um... As soon as he got off the boat, you know, you would think immediately he would start to build a shelter and try to figure out what to do, get the animals off, move the food, whatever. The first thing he did was build that altar. And with the clean animals, because he had seven pairs of clean animals, he offered sacrifices to God. And they were a blessing to God. So God reinstated for Noah the blessing that had belonged to Adam. Now things were never going to be totally the same because flesh is fallen. Adam thought of that. Noah and his sons were not perfect beings. You know, they, they were fallen men. But because the law hadn't been given, because the Ten Commandments hadn't been given, God didn't impute their, impute their wrong, the wrongdoings, as sin. Um... He didn't have the measuring stick yet. And so he still looked at them through the eyes of, uh, through, the, through the blood of Jesus. Even though Jesus hadn't come in the flesh yet, in the spirit, he already existed as the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Before God ever said, light be, in God, who lives outside of time and space, Jesus was already crucified, right? So he looked at men, fallen men, through the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. The law hadn't been given. Paul even says it. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. So, they were fallen men. The world was never going to be perfect. Men are going to do terrible things. But, God could work with faithful men. Men who believed that he existed. And this is from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. You must, one, believe that He is, that, that God exists. And, second, that He's the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So, Noah was one of those men who believed that God existed and he diligently sought after God and His ways. And, um, so God counted that faith as righteousness as being righteous before him. Same thing with Abraham when we get to Abraham. Any man in faith um, before the law was given and even, um, even now because we, like Noah and Abraham, come to the living God by faith in what Jesus did at the cross. We're, we're children of God by faith, not by anything we do. So, there's Noah, this faithful man, and God counted that as righteous. He could do business with Noah because Noah believed God. And um, so when Noah offered the sacrifice, God re-established his covenant with Noah and his children. So look at Genesis 9. We're going to look at two verses. We're going to kind of inch through this a little bit. This is the exact blessing that God spoke over Adam in Genesis 1. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then he repeats that in verse 7 when he says again, And you, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. 
Okay. This bringing forth and multiplying for the animals was one thing. That was repopulate the earth with animals. But with men, it's different because men not only have nefesh, which is the ability to move, but we also have uh, the Spirit of God in us. We are a different creature. We are a creative being like God. Um, if, if you remember in the, uh, um, in the Targum, the Jewish writer said, you know, God breathed his breath into the nostrils of man. And man became a speaking spirit. And that's what God is, is a speaking spirit. God plans, designs, creates, and then he speaks. And things materialize, things happen. Men are no different. So when God was speaking to Noah about being fruitful and multiplying, he's talking to Noah on like three different levels here. First, of course, to reproduce offspring. But second, man is a speaking spirit. And so he bears and sows more than just human reproduction seeds. Because man's word is seed. And he wants men to be full of godly word to bring forth godly fruit in the earth. So leave your finger there, but flip back to Matthew chapter 7. We're reading stuff in the red, so this is an authority speaking. Matthew chapter 7. It's, yeah, Matthew chapter 7. All right, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. Is everybody ready? Not quite. Okay. Verse 17. We're going to tie this with another scripture that will explain about the fruit of the tree. But this is just the underlying start of it. Even so, every good tree, and always trees are a type of men. Whenever you see tree mentioned, you're talking about men. I'm just saying. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree brings forth, that should be corrupt fruit. Um, It's the same word, corrupt, corrupt, but bad fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil or corrupt fruit neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit (coughs) every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into their fire therefore by their fruits you shall know them alright from here turn back just a few pages to chapter 12 wait I'm sorry what for Matthew chapter 12 Okay, um, and he's talking here about speaking, what you speak. And he's saying, do not speak against the Holy Spirit. Don't speak things that you don't know about, okay? Um, But look at verse 33, because he's still talking here about the spoken word. Either make the tree good and the fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For a tree, or a man, is known by his fruit generation of vipers how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and that's where faith is whatever is full in your heart is going to come out of your mouth I always used to say you know if you want to know what's full in your heart for the day get in a traffic jam or have somebody cut you off in traffic real quick what comes out of your mouth first that's a good test of what's in abundance you know in your heart at the time If it isn't good, you might need to get back in the Word some more. Just saying there. Okay. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. 
And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Alright, so how does he bring it forth out of his heart? This is how. But I say to you that every idle word that a man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We, we, our words have a creative power in them. Faith-filled words produce things in the earth. If you go back to Genesis 1, you find out the whole world was made a faith-filled word. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Everything in the universe is made out of word and light, because God's light. Okay. Sandy, in 36, what, yeah. every idle word, what does idle um, It means every, um, every useless or vain word, every word that is not... Okay. Uh, glorious. Yes, vain, yes. A vain or a useless word. Powerless, you know. And it could also be corrupt words. I was wondering if you it's know. also corrupt. I wonder yeah. if it's changed. Corrupt would, be a, yeah, corrupt would be a good addition to that. It's just, you know, it's we just don't think about what we say. Stuff just comes out of your mouth and that's like vain words. Just whatever. Things like, you know what? This has been the lousiest day and I guarantee before the day's over it's going to get worse. Those are vain, idle words, but they have power behind them because they're coming out of the abundance of your heart. And I guarantee your day will get worse. People who talk about being sick all the time are what? Sick all the time. But if you meet a person who is positive and powerful and strong about their work and strong about their life, you find they prosper in everything. You know, because it's it's your words shape whatever comes out. So yeah, idle, I'm glad you asked that. Idle would just be like useless words, things that come off right out of the top of your head, you know. And the other thing about that I will say is sometimes we misquote scripture. And misquoted scripture is is deadly too. Um, <clears throat> like God helps those that help themselves, not scripture. God helps those who ask. That's scripture. <clears throat> so that's an idle word. It's a vain word. It's a useless word. NIV says careless. There you go. It's careless right. word. It's a great way to say that. Every careless word. Yeah. Good word there. Okay. So those careless words coming out of your mouth create things, whether we know it or not, because they're faith-filled. Look at your life. Look at what's coming out of your mouth. Check, and you'll see that there's a correlation between what you've been saying and what you're living. Um, <clears throat> it never fails. All right, one more place. Go to Mark. Just keep going backwards past Matthew to the very next book. Mark, chapter 4. This is Jesus' parable, the parable of the sower. The sower sows, you know, the sower goes out sowing and he throws some on the rocky ground and some on the rich soil, you know. Okay. I only just want you to look. Yeah, Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 14. The sower sows the word. So for us, yeah, we have reproductive seed, but we also have word seed. What comes out of your mouth is seed. That's one of the coolest things that I learned. God created us all to be farmers. Um, Adam was a farmer. And we're all farmers. And we sow with our mouths and we reap with our mouths. And guess what? We sow into each other because we're all made of dirt. So we're sowing into each other. We're reaping harvest depending on what you're sowing. Good harvest or bad harvest. Um, but we're throwing seed around. I mean it would be like a farmer just taking a bag of good seed and mixing it with weeds. You know, crabgrass. That's what my yard looks like. Somebody did that. But um, and not on purpose, I'm just saying. But it's like throwing crabgrass seed in a sack of really expensive 
turf, you know, seed. And mixing it all up and then just throwing it out there. Well, you're going to get what you plant. Same with your mouth. You get good seed in here, and then, son of a gun, there's the crabgrass. Pops right up there when you least expect it. And um, I always, I have gotten to the point where that's the first place I start. When I start to get in the ditch, I go back and I'm going, okay, what have I been saying? What has been coming out of my mouth? Because I guarantee there's something there that has helped me find the ditch. And um, so when God's saying be fruitful and multiply, then he is also speaking about, he's speaking about, of course, <coughs> physical reproduction. He's talking about speaking, okay? But there's also another kind of fruitfulness. Um, go to Galatians chapter 5. You're in Mark. Go, keep going back past Luke, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians. Okay. And we want to go to chapter 5. The seed of this fruit is in our spirit. We don't see the seed. God sows this seed. Okay? But we are still the tree. We are still the tree. And we bear the fruit. Now, it depends on where your roots are. Let me, let me say this. It depends on where your roots are. If your roots are deep in the world, deep in the world, and the way the world lives, the fruit in your life is going to look like the world. And it's going to be chaos and torment and, and pain and, and, and um, every negative thing you can think of. But when your roots are in the living God and you're pressing into Him and you're full of the Word, the fruit is going to be that you that you have is going to be much different. Um, so look at verse. Um, just look at verse sixteen. We'll just read a while. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. The word walk literally means put your life, your whole life, everything about you. Whenever it talks about your walk or your heel or your foot, it's talking about your life. Okay? This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Put your life in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. So that you cannot do the things you would. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Okay, when, you're, when your roots are deep in the world, this is where you are. Um, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, recklessness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Um, that means quarreling and contentious um, um, emulations, which is jealousy, wrath, strife, sedition, sedition, which is division, envyings, murders, and drunken rev drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People whose roots are totally in that world are going to look just like the world. And that's what the world looks like. Now, does that mean that you and I don't ever tell a lie, we don't ever envy, or we don't ever have those jealous pangs? No, but it means that you're not going to follow them up and act in a way that that's like that. Those things are going to come because we have flesh. But... If your roots are deep in the love of God, then this is the fruit that you produce. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. When God says love one another as I've loved you, you and I can't do that. There's no physical way that we can do that. I mean, just looking at some people, I have a really hard time even just liking them or tolerating them. But, but we don't have to worry about that. The God kind of love is produced in us. He gives us that love. And, 
And we, we can walk in what he gives us. We don't have to try to gin it up ourselves. He's going to produce that fruit in us. And then it gets easier. You know, it gets easier and easier to do that. So there's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, which means that word law is a word for force. Against this kind of fruit, there's no force powerful enough to overcome it. That's what that means. They that are of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. But if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Um, Okay, back to the front here. All the way back to Genesis. So when God... What was the third thing? Reproduce offspring, reproduce godly fruit and words. Right. What was the third one? The Holy Spirit producing fruit in us. He says, be fruitful and multiply. We are to be full of fruit. So he produces fruit in us, low-hanging fruit, so that other people can experience what we have. That's why it's there. Um, Have you noticed how those emotions of love and joy and peace are very contagious? You know, when you get around somebody that's just full of joy, you, you know, whatever's going on in your life just seems to dissipate because you are partaking of the fruit of that person's tree, that person's life. Um, that's exactly right. So three ways men were to be fruitful and multiply. One, in literal human reproduction. Two, producing our environment and our circumstances reproducing them by the word that's in us because we have the seed that God gives us is his word you may not see with your eyes what you desire at the moment but speak what you desire with your mouth and eventually things will turn and and you'll begin to see what you speak so you want to sow good seed into your life, into your job, into your neighbors, into your friends, into your family, into, you know, whatever it is that you're into, you sow good seed. God, you know, God's going to bless this. You know, I'm blessed in the things I set my hands to. He's given me this job, therefore I'm going to prosper in this job. This job is going to, you know, be a blessing to other people. I'm going to be able to be used to the Lord where I am. And, um, and He'll turn that fruit of your mouth into something tangible. And then the third is be a fruit bearer. You know, so we want to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in this earth as well. So when God was speaking to Noah about this, same with Adam. He was speaking about more than just reproducing children. So he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then the next word is replenish the earth. He said to Adam the same word, replenish. And I'm going, how can you replenish what he just put down there? Nothing's missing. It's perfect. But, you know, we use up what's there. Adam ate of the fruit of the garden. We all feed on the blessings that God gives, but we want to replenish as we go. You don't leave a barren place. When you when you leave, you replenish. Always bearing fruit. Always sowing seed. Always, <clears throat> excuse me, always reproducing what God has put in us to reproduce. So the word replenish there means fill to overflowing. So fill the earth to overflowing with God's goodness. This bottom line, what that means. Okay. Now we have to kind of go back. Because he begins to speak about the animals. Um, he's just finished giving Adam, I mean Noah, the same blessing he gave Adam. But there's an exception here. Because under Adam, all animal life was subjected. He had complete dominion over it. Um, over and over in Genesis 1 and 2, he says, And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, every thing that creeps on the earth but now man does not have that same dominion anymore 
Adam long that lost that long ago. And so God has to give them a different relationship. Let's just read a little bit. Start with Genesis chapter 9. Start with verse 2. Okay. And the fear of you and the dread of you will be upon every beast of the earth. So while they were on the boat, no fear, no dread in the ark. And the ark is always a type of Christ. It's the type of the promised land. It's the type of, you know, perfection. But once they got off the boat, the fear of you and the dread of you would be on every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moves on the earth and on the fish of the sea. But into your hand they are delivered. Now, That doesn't mean that he has dominion. But it means he can have a rulership, a type of proprietorship over animals. So that, um, you know, you can raise livestock. You can raise, you know, fish. You can, you can have a re- working relationship with animals. But it isn't the same as it was when Adam was there where there was just a compatible living together. Um, In Isaiah, the picture is, you know, the lion will lay down with the lamb, a little child will be able to play with with the poisonous snake and not be harmed. That's coming when Jesus rules and reigns. But until then, animals have a healthy fear of humans. But pre, in the Garden of Eden, they did not. No, they didn't. The lion could lay down with the lamb, you know. Do you Mm -hmm. think that... Adam and Eve were vegetarian only? No, because because um, Adam was a farmer, but um, Abel was a, a raiser of livestock. He raised sheep and cattle, you know. And um, so, no, there's no indication that they were just vegetarians at all. God, There were animals there. God killed, you know, an animal to cover Adam and Eve. Um, and and um, Abel raised sheep and cattle. He was a herd, you know, what do you call him, a herdsman? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, Cain went after his dad and became a farmer, but, but there was meat in the earth, you know. Yeah. The difference here is this. God is putting into his hands all animals. And this is before the law. So all animals were available for Noah and his family to eat. There weren't clean animals and unclean animals per se. It was up to Noah and his family to decide what they wanted to eat. The clean and unclean didn't come until the law when the children of Israel were in, you know, in the desert and God was giving them the Ten Commandments and the law to follow. So whatever was good for them to eat, they could eat. But there were rules about how to eat it and what had to be done. And and they're still in, you know, they still function today because we're not wild animals. We're not the untamed animals. We 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 are after the image of God. Okay? So anyway, because of that, God mercifully put the fear and dread of man on animals. So that they, you know, would n- not just um what do I want to say? They would not be at the mercy of men. They had that healthy fear and dread of men on them. But God was God gave them proprietorship to use them for his purposes, but for godly purposes. Okay. Every animal that is alive and has breath would now be meat for men. And what they ate was now left to man's reason and judgment. So let's just read a little bit here. Start with verse um, 2. And we'll go again. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moves on the earth and all the fishes of the sea. But into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb I have given you all things. 
but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. I'll explain that to you. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast. Will I require it? And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Um, kind of confusing there, but let me just sort that out. Every, every meat then was given to men to eat. Whatever they would choose to their own at their own discretion, and every herb was also given. But um, what God was saying is this: when the lifeblood is flowing in the meat, there's life there. Now, wild animals will run an animal down and tear the flesh off and eat it before the animal dies. You know, the blood is still running through the flesh, and that is what a wild beast does. But he says, you are not a wild beast and you are not to eat the meat with the blood flowing in it. You are not to do that. So they would, you know, they were to kill the animal first and prepare it and then eat it. But as long as the lifeblood was flowing through that flesh, no. Um, Jonathan, who was writing in the Targum 1500 years ago, said it this way. But the flesh which is torn from a living beast at the time of its life is still in it. Or it is torn from a beast while it is slain before the life breath has gone out of it. You shall not eat. And then he goes on hearkening back to Abel's death and the blood crying out to God. He warns Noah and his sons about shedding human blood. Okay, so they were given permission to shed the blood of animals, but they were not allowed to shed their own blood or the blood of other humans because we're all made in the image of God. So, so here were the two rules. One, if a beast killed a human, the life of that beast was to be exacted at the hands of men. And if a man shed the lifeblood of a brother, then his life would be forfeited. Death was the cost for killing another man. Now, we get in these discussions about the death penalty and the law. And what should we think about that? And the arguments that are given against it are, um, you know, we're not teaching them a lesson. If we just keep them in prison for, for a life, then we're teaching them a lesson. You know, we want them to be punished and really punished. But God's not punishing men. God's saying, if you take the life of a man, the cost of that job, the cost of whatever you did, is your own life. It isn't about... I mean, you know, if I went in the grocery store and I, I picked up a sack of groceries, the grocery store lady says, here's your punishment, you owe me $50. Okay, no, that's not my punishment. That's my cost of doing business in their store. God says the cost of doing business with me is this. If you take the man, if you take a man's life, the cost of that is your own life. That's what it costs you. Doesn't cost me that. It's what your cost is. Your own life. And um, so when we've gotten into this death penalty thing, it started out right. Um when a, a man took a man's life, then the, the price of that was the loss of your own life. Um, we look at the, the phrase, um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which is, um, that looks like payback. But God didn't mean that either. He says, if you take a man's eye, the cost of that is you become his eyes. If at your hand a man loses a tooth, then, then you were going to chew his food. <laughs> you know, you'll become his teeth. If you take from a man this or that, then the cost of that comes out of you. You know. So if you take a man's life, then the cost of that is you forfeit your life. That's the cost of it. Not the punishment for doing it, but the cost of it. So, um, we have taken our role in that death penalty as us killing another human being doing two wrongs make a right 
rather than the way God instituted it, meaning that's the price that you have to pay. You took a man's life on purpose, deliberately. This is the price that you pay. Because God knew once Noah got off the boat, things weren't going to get better and he couldn't flood the earth anymore. And he began to tell them what the price was. Okay? So it isn't about punishment. It isn't about teaching somebody a lesson. And it isn't about avenging. You know, having people present when somebody dies. No. It isn't about avenging. It isn't about any of that. It's about, this was the cost. This is what it cost me. It cost me my own life to deliberately take the life of another person. Now, if it was um, accidental, you know, manslaughter, that was different. The, um, even Israel had um, cities set up called sanctuary cities where people who committed manslaughter innocently could go and live. You know, But they were tried in the sanctuary city to find out if it was an accident or not. If it was an accident, they were allowed to stay. But it still was a forfeit of their life. They couldn't go back and live where they used to live. They still lost something. It was a forfeit. It cost them. But um, not their death. Okay. So God is taking this very seriously. He says the price of that, the price of taking a man's life deliberately like Cain, murder, is the forfeit of your own life. That's what it costs you. So um, when you get to that death penalty thing, you have to start looking at it through God's eyes, not through our eyes. God's still on the other side. He'll deal with the spirit of that man or that woman. He'll deal with the spirit of them. But um, so when people start to talk about rationalizing no death penalty or penalty, you know, you, you, can, you can have whatever opinion you want. That's fine. I'm not saying Yes, we need the death penalty. Because we don't do it right anymore. It isn't right anymore. It's way off. It's man's world. It's man's everything. Man's institution. It's a penalty and not the price. Right. It's a penalty and a punishment and an avenging. It's not the price. And it's done wrong. So, you know, whatever opinion you have, you just have. But all I'm saying is, is in God's view... That's, that was what he said. And that was outside of the law. So that stands whether the law exists or not. That's outside of the so law. So that's outside of grace. This, that's a, this is interesting. Yeah. This is an interesting. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. So you really have to think about that. You know, God's still on the other side. He'll deal with that man on the other side. But um, it, it's, it, was the, it was the price. You know, it's what you pay for doing doing that business, whatever it was. And um, so, in other words, you reap what you sow. You know? So if you if you sow a murder, then you're going to reap death. I mean, if you sow death, you're going to reap death. That's just the way God looked at it. But it wasn't, you know, punishment, sow there, take that. That wasn't it at all. It was, this just the, this just the way it is in the earth. And he had to be firm about that because there had already been one murder. I mean, heaven knows how many others over time before he wiped the earth out. But he's starting over now. And he wants people to know that murder, the death of a human being, is heinous to him, you know, in that sense. Anybody taking the life of another person for any reason. It's just heinous in his sight. Okay, so now we're going to move on here. Let's go back. Just a couple more verses here. Because he finishes up by saying, this is the rest of covenant. So start with um, verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between you and me and every living thing that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. This is not where he invented the rainbow. 
God is an eternal being. I'm going to show it to you. But He has, because He's light, all of the colors of the rainbow are in God, right? And around His throne, encircling Him from top to bottom, is the rainbow. It's a, it's a, we call it a rainbow because when it rains, the bow shows through. But God just calls it a bow. And His bow is around His throne eternally. It's always been there. But He said, as a token of the covenant, I'm going to take my bow and put it in the earth so that you can see it. So that you know it's ever before my eyes and it'll always be before your eyes. So He didn't invent the rainbow there. Okay? He just took what was His and shared it with men. Um... And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the clouds and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. He used as a symbol his bow, which is everlasting. His bow of color is eternal. So he says, when I see that bow in the earth, I'll be reminded of the eternal effect of this covenant that I'm making with you. I will never break this covenant with you. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and this is interesting. And Ham is the father of Canaan. He not, it doesn't say that once, but he says that at least twice. And then he reemphasizes it later on. But Ham is the father of Canaan, so hold on to that. Um, and these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. Alright, stick your finger there and go to Revelation chapter 4. Last book. Revelations chapter 4. Okay. Verse 1. And after this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Um... Stones are used here because of their reflective ability so that you can see the colors. God's just pure, raw light. And the colors of light are reflected, you know, depending on... Um, well, like if you're looking at a flame, the closer you get to the center of the flame, it's white hot. But then as you spread out, it becomes blue and then yellows and oranges, you know, as the flame goes away. God's light is the same way. The center of His light is white hot. That's why whenever men see pictures of God or pictures of Jesus, there's always that white hot light. Pure white. But the farther you get away, the more the colors are reflected from the light, okay? Um, so He says, It looked to me like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And again, the reflections of the colors. Um, so the rainbow literally goes all the way around the throne, encircles the throne. And it has been there for eternity. Always was, always will be. So when God was talking to Noah, he didn't invent a rainbow. He just says, I'm going to take my bow and I'm going to set it in the clouds so you have a reminder. 
you know, that I, I'm not going to break this promise ever again to flood the earth. Okay. Um, I think we better stop there because we're about to... Oh, well, let me just do one more thing here. we got a couple minutes. The landing place for Noah and his family. Geographically, <clears throat> scholars, ancient and modern, agree that Ararat actually was a whole chain of mountains <clears throat> that ran, I guess you would say they're northeast of Israel. But it's a whole chain of mountains that run. In the day that Moses wrote this down, which was several thousand years after it happened, Ararat had been named. But at the time, it was just a string of mountains that ran north and south. And they were called the mountains of Ararat. And that's what it says when Noah landed. He landed on the mountains of Ararat. But the location is very general in Genesis when we're reading the Noah story about when he finally lighted. But over time, scholars have you know, done a lot of research. And of course, now we, we are thinking that, that the ark is sitting on the side of, of what is now called Mount Ararat in Turkey, about twelve to 13,000 feet up. They haven't been able to get up to it because the Turks won't let them near it. But um, just some interesting things about it. There's this particular mountain in this chain of mountains, is, it's a double peak. And it's the, like the tallest point in the whole chain of mountains. But when you come down in elevation to kind of the base of Ararat there, there's this rich fertile plain. There's a river that runs through this fertile plain. It's about 90 miles from one end of the river to the other. <clears throat> and there's this rich um, fertile plain that runs there. And um, it's called the Araxis River Valley. And um, so the word Araxis, well, let me just go this. Lore, there are lots of um, tribal people that live around that area. And the traditions and the lore, they call that valley the Valley of Eight, which is Noah and his family that got off the boat were eight. And they call that valley the, the Valley of Eight. Today there's a town there that's called um, either Kamanam in, in, in one of the languages, uh, Kazakh in another, Kazan in another, but that word means eight. And that's the name of the town that's there. Um, and this I thought was really cool. I, I could, I've seen aerials of it. You can get online and find aerials of it. But in that area, they have found a whole series of these stone, ancient stone fences that run like um, spokes out of a wheel. And in the center of the wheel are the remains of an ancient old house. There's an altar there an ancient altar and there are two gravestones traditions say that the center of that wheel was Noah's home and that the gravestones belonged to Noah and his wife whether or not that's true I don't know but I know that the remains are there I know the archaeological find is there but um, if that's the case then life began again rather than being near the Garden of Eden which people believe to be right there near the mouth of the Persian Gulf right where the Tigris and the Euphrates joined together because those two rivers are mentioned in Genesis but right where those rivers come together um, in that area they believe is where um, the Garden of Eden was somewhere in that geographical location. Noah then would have gotten off the boat northeast of where Israel is today. It would have been way up in that part of the country. Not down near where the old Garden of Eden was. Um, some Christian authors say, yeah, they, they landed near the Garden of Eden, but there's no mountain area near the Tigris River. You know, and that's mentioned in Genesis. So I, I have a hard time with some of those authors. You have to be careful what you read. And and yes, you can you'll agree with some of it and some of it you won't. But um 
just check your sources double check everything that's reason one of the reasons I love the Targum is because these men were writing 1500 years ago there's not Christian influence at all in their writing it's all a Hebrew understanding you know of scripture I say there wasn't a Christian influence I'm sure there was some but not nearly like there is today and um it's just cleaner you know it's it is more hebraic and and cleaner so that's why i appreciate the way they wrote but um anyway so if you're looking at it geographically based on where the ararat mountains are and where they run down through armenia and turkey couldn't possibly be near the tigris the tigris and euphrates rivers which is what they mentioned in genesis chapter 2 it's northeast of Israel. It would be up in that area. And the very idea that they came down into a fertile plain is perfect because that's exactly what Noah did. He immediately took up raising, you know, farming. Planted his vineyard, first thing out. But um, anyway, so we'll stop there then and next week we'll pick up with um, this bizarre story about Ham and um, the implications for us today because... Ham's story is in our face today. We live with it every day. Ham's story. So um, we'll pick that up then next time. Okay, let me just pray for you real quick. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for just showing us your truth. And um, Lord, I just pray that we would walk out the blessings that you promised in um um, in Genesis here to us that we would be fruitful that we would multiply that we would fill your earth with good things that our mouths would be full of your word that our hearts would be overflowing with your word that our lives would bear, bear fruit of the Holy Spirit Lord so that other people can partake of it Father just let us be that tree that planting um, that blesses your heart and um, Lord we just ask this in Jesus name and we thank you for the answers Amen you as well. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.